0: speak to you about living a full life okay this this doesn't mean living a crazy life what happens is ego and intellectual mind they get very very quickly they get used to what was there before you know mind and ego get used to routines very very quickly and what happens is when you get used to routines you're breaking the laws of nature Because, you know, an animal or a tree or uh, Lac de Genève, they're changing second by second. There's nothing in nature that repeats itself. Human mind uh, doesn't like the unknown. And because it doesn't like the unknown, it's breaking the laws of nature. Because in nature, the clouds are constantly reshaping themselves. The lake is constantly changing. Your body... Your body regenerates itself every year and a half. So there's nothing stable about your body. All, this, all the cells are regenerating. If you want to live a full life, you have to live outside of habit. And imagine how challenging that is. I went for, when I quit international banking in Wall Street, I went to a meditation center and meditated for two years. What happened to the old Kambis? all the habits started to drop away. Because when you meditate seven hours a day times two years, there's no more habit. The mind becomes clear like a lake. So um, life starts to feel very full. Imagine having a different breakfast every morning. Imagine changing your routine every morning. Imagine appreciating your husband in a different way every day had a physics professor who got Alzheimer and every morning he would introduce himself to his wife he would say oh you're pretty my name is Peter who are you and she thought it was so romantic imagine if you met for the first time every morning in other words no habit because we forget to look at each other you know You have to force married couple to notice a dimple here when the other one is smiling. It's only when they die that we cry. It's all habit. If you're living near the lake, you forget to look at it every day. So living a full life. Living a full life, you have to be very much in the present moment. How do you stay in the present moment even in a meeting? Very simple. Put your focus here between the nostrils And notice that you're breathing. So I'm not asking you to breathe. I'm saying over here, notice that breath comes in. Breath goes out. Follow my fingers. This means inhale. This means exhale. See what happens to you right now. Follow my fingers. Now watch what happens. Was anybody thinking of the future? Was there anybody worried? Was there anybody sad? You were following the breath. When you come to the present moment, you live a very full life. Like animals, you know, the dolphins in the present moment. It's not worried about a fish recession. It just goes swimming like that. Uh, living a full life unless you're making progress every day you're not living a full life in other words uh, the atom the atom is the building block of life and the atom is moving if your life is not moving it gets depressed any aspect of your life that's not moving like the atom gets depressed so if your romance is not moving that relationship is failing if the money is not moving economically you're getting depressed. If your body's not moving, your body's getting depressed. So one key to living a full life, progress. You must push for progress. This doesn't mean just being a workaholic. Push for some kind of progress in something. Keep the movement up. It's very different from being workaholic because you can make progress in different aspects. You can love more, for example. Love, love, which is the vitamin of the soul, love is very wild. Any of you who are trying to control love are going to get depressed. Love is wild. Uh, love cannot be harnessed. So don't even try to control love. If you lost your dad when you were six, you may have decided that it hurts too much to love. So then you try to control love. But, but love is like a wild stallion. It's uncontrollable. So when you try to control it, it's very hard on your nervous system. Meaning, love fully. And then when it ends, love fully and say goodbye. Just do it fully. When you play guitar, just play guitar. When you're washing dishes, just wash dishes. How do you wash dishes without thinking? Bring the mind here. And notice that the air is coming in, air is going out. I want you to keep your eyes open. Put your focus on the bridge of your nose. Yeah, you don't need to do it with your fingers. Put your focus here and notice very mindfully that breath is coming in, breath is going out. Just do it. Notice. See, as long as you're noticing the breath, you're very much in the present moment. If you're in the present moment, you're living fully. Other hints about living fully. Before you go to sleep on any night, make sure that you've built one thing. In other words, don't go to sleep until you build one thing. Building, we don't mean house or... Build something in your life before you go to sleep. You can build a recipe in the kitchen. You can build a relationship with your son. You can build some trust with your husband. Do not leave a day before building something. You can add to your memoirs. That's building something. If you build one thing per day, then you wind up having a very full life because you have many days in a life. You know, the sad thing is, the vast majority of the 9 billion people, they, they're born, they go to the bathroom, they make love, they have children, they ride the metro, and then they die. That's the vast majority. In other words, there's no notion that I am here with the odds of 300 million to 1, that my ego aside, there's this huge force that wants me here. There's this huge force that wants me here. Most people don't think that. And then you might say, well, exceptional people like the Prime Minister have a right of saying that, but I'm just a cab driver. That's false thinking. There is a force larger than the cab driver breathing inside you. One of you tasted it. I said, if you stop breathing, someone else will start breathing inside you. And she got it. There's a force behind you. It's a huge force living fully if you're not uplifting other people you're killing yourself why because there's one energy field uh, i'm not being humanitarian i'm just saying there's one force in the yard in the trees and in us if you start uh, putting other people down you get depressed if you feel isolated in your rolls royce you start to die you have no choice but to mix in and lift other people up if you have some extra energy. As you lift other people up, they come back to you. Those of you who are teachers, I'm sure part of the reason you're alive is because you get love back from your children in the classroom. So there's an exchange going on. This is why. This is what teachers get. Any of you who change, I get zapped with electricity. It's the way teaching works. Living a full life. Think of your life as a basket of fruit. You're in charge of throwing out the rotten fruit and keeping the sweet ones. Meaning, all of you have plenty of people in your lives. All of you have plenty of circumstances in your life. Think of that as a basket of fruit. Some of them have worms in it. Some of them are tasty fruits. Can you pick the good from the rotten ones. If you're into self-sabotage, you continuously are picking rotten fruit and putting it in your basket. By the way, nobody's bad. In other words, if you had a mate uh, in your previous marriage uh, who destroyed your nerves, that person's not bad. Uh, In a world of metaphysics, you attract people vibrating at the same frequency as you. So if you're depressed, somebody semi-depressed is going to fall in love with you. If you're extremely athletic, an athletic person will gravitate towards you. If you make money like this, people who love money come towards you. It's a law of physics. You know, In music, if you strum the C chord on a guitar, the C string on a piano across the room starts to move. It's called resonance. So uh, none of you are attracting people completely out of your own vibrational frequency. Now, here's the good news. The first time you attract somebody who is different from your previous friends, you can be sure that you've changed. Let's say you're a woman who has always, always taken care of these men who are big babies. You attract babies who need caretaking. And then all of a sudden, this fellow says hello, and he wants to take care of you. It feels odd and queer. But if that ever happens, know that your belief system has changed. If a different type of person says hello to you, you can be sure that your belief systems have changed. Therefore, your vibrational frequency has changed. Take a realtor in Geneva. If you're a realtor that can sell two bedrooms, but not the chateau or then you know because you're not vibrating at the level of the chateau. It's not that you can't sell real estate. You can't imagine the chateau. I'll give you a a real challenge. I want you to think about this tonight. How many people do you know who are less beautiful, less intelligent, have less money, uh, have less talents, but are way ahead of you in life? The longer that list is, the more blind you are to yourself. If you ask Barack Obama, How many people do you know that are less intelligent, less gifted, uh, less energetic, uh, and yet they're way ahead of Barak? He would probably have a very limited list. When I was 20, that list was very long. In other words, I played excellent guitar. In those days, I knew good jokes. I was good-looking, and yet there were thousands of men way ahead of me with a lot less. It's not a good sign to have a long list like that. That means you don't see yourself. Most of you are blind to who you are. That's the problem. It's called self-worth. Now, if there is a very limited list of people who have less of everything than you and they're not ahead of you, that means that you are achieving at the level of your own vibrational frequency. This is not a race, because when your beliefs change, your vibrations will change. When your vibrations change, a new type of person will say hello to you. The first time you get a friend who's taking care of you, all your life you've been caretaking, suddenly somebody says, what do you need? And your thermostat is going like this, because you're always taking care Are you building something every day? Another thing, self-love. All of you, you have no choice but to love yourself very deeply. Why? Very simple. If you go on vacances, anywhere you go, the first person you'll find is yourself. It's a big problem, no? (laughs) If you're not in good relationship with yourself, you go to, to Wakiki and the first person you find is yourself meaning you have no choice but to have an excellent and deep self-love. All this iPod, iPad, all of that is because you don't have a relationship with yourself. I'll ask you a question. We find a chalet in Chamonix, and all we give you is one of these, a cheminée and a good book, and it's raining like hell for two days and you have no guest guest visitors, how many of you would be supremely happy? It's good. (laughs) That's very good. I mean, if you're not lying to me, then we have a very good group because most people start going up the wall without the DVD, without the fashion magazine. I just meant lots of rain, log cabin, no entertainment. All you have is you. You're being honest now? You're being honest? So you have a relationship with yourself. Most people have no relationship with themselves. So it doesn't matter where you go for a vacation. The first person you meet is yourself. Your only choice is for your highest religion to be self-love, which is very different from being conceited. Self-love is very humble. You actually want to uplift other people. When you have self-love, you uplift other people. It's quite humble. It's quiet. And I think of it as a religion, you know, because if you think of you having been created by a larger force, then it goes beyond your first name and last name. Now I want to talk to you about boundaries. Uh, Healthy plants, animals, and human beings, healthy ones, have a particular periphery around them which defines their personal boundary. And then we have different types of boundaries. We have physical boundaries, financial boundaries, emotional boundaries, spiritual boundaries, and so forth. So let's talk about this. If any of you grew up in a house during childhood where the significant adults were needy, then you didn't get to have your own boundaries. What I'm trying to say and the teachers, some of you teachers are teaching younger people, a child up to the age of seven has no sense of uh, me. So what a child does, uh, let's say little Ujjay, Amandeep's son, little Ujjay will look into Amandeep's eyes, use it as a mirror to see if Ujjay exists. This is what children do. They look into the mirror of your eyes, to see if you reflect them back to them. This is why a little child will run away from you and then look back to see if you're still coming. See, they need that mirror. So you think that your little child is full of life, but they they don't have a self yet. You teachers also, you're actually mirroring those children back to them. And imagine how noble you have to be not to superimpose yourself on the child. You know, you have to be a very noble adult to mirror them without talking at them. It's very difficult not to talk at. Even with the dog and the cat, you know, there there are true animal lovers who talk with the cat. Most of them are just saying, you know, come. So they're talking at the animal. Very few people can talk with animals. Anyways... Uh, boundaries. If somebody cares to, to talk, think about your childhood. Was there somebody so needy around you? Somebody who didn't have the capacity to just mirror you with presence. They were too needy. So you as a child had to give yourself away to the adult so that they would be okay. For example, some of you had to prevent your parents' divorce. Some of you grew up with the role of referee. In other words, if you came back home too late from school, your mom and dad would be killing each other. You were the referee. So you didn't get to have a self. Therefore, you don't have boundaries. Now you have to work on that. Or your mother had migraines. So you could never... Express yourself in the house. So then the child can't have its own boundaries. Uh, discipline is good, so we're not talking about spoiling your children. Do they have space around you to grow? Okay, how many of you grew up with uh, needy, needy adults around you? Okay, so we won't get into the details. But what that does is the three year old can't have a clear mirror. To initially develop themselves. Later on then, uh, we do work like this for you to discover some of yourself back. And now we talk about various types of boundaries. Let's talk about emotional boundaries. If as a child you didn't get to distinguish what your emotions were versus like your mother's, then your emotions get mixed up with other people's emotions. So you have to ask yourself a question Do you have emotional boundaries? Like when your wife is sad, do you also start crying or do you just kind of support her? Some of you get mixed into each other's sadness. You see what I'm saying? So is it difficult for you to maintain your emotional landscape when somebody's really sad? How many of you feel really guilty because you're having an incredible day and somebody just lost their mom? See, again, that's no boundary. Because we're very sorry that she lost her mom, but you're having a really good day. So you don't have to be selfish. You just don't need to be guilty. Now, if you have children, this gets more tricky. You know, the average mom is crazy about those kids. Is there any boundary between your emotions and your children's emotions? Because you might think being a good mom is being the same as your son all the time. But that's not supervision. I had a mom who said, uh, Kambis, I'm such good friends with my daughter that we go sh- shopping for miniskirts together. And the daughter was actually very neurotic because the daughter didn't want a best friend. She wanted a mom. The mom was, you know, she was good looking also, but she thought that if we do this together, then we'll be closer. But the daughter wanted something to push against to know that there's some boundaries in this house. So that's emotional boundaries. Let's talk about physical boundaries. How close can I get to you before you say, "Mm." Enough. You know, India is an interesting country, you know. With a billion point four, people walk on your heels. There's so many people. Uh, Sanjay Sud here took me to their bazaar and we were walking, and several times somebody walked on my heel. They weren't mean, there was just 1.4 billion of us. So then, uh, Indians, in a way, they can be very gentle, you know, because In India, people are in your lap sometimes. And a Westerner would go completely crazy with people this close. And I noticed in the bazaar in in New Delhi, that people actually tolerate this because the population in some parts can get very thick. So they've, they've learned to become gentle in light of this population. Anyways, your physical boundaries. Uh, when you were growing up, how much nudity was allowed in your home? If you're raising children or grandchildren, you know, you, you just, I ask you to just be mindful of, you know, or if you have a boy and a girl, up to which age do you put them in the same bathtub? Because at first, they're very easy with each other. Then you have to be mindful enough Uh, We have some teachers here. After which age would you not put a a baby boy and girl together in the bathtub? I think it varies depending on how... They will let you know. They'll let you know? So you can feel when they're getting uncomfortable? And also shared bedrooms. I mean, a lot of homes have a double bed for boy and girl, and then at some age you separate them. So how that happens really depends on mindfulness. Yes. And then the kids are constantly watching, all of you. Uh, you're modeling, you're modeling everything to them, including nudity. And then if there's no nudity, then that has its own problems also. I mean in the south of France, you know, there's at least half nudity, but the children who've grown up with that think nothing of it. Also, when your children want to share the bed with you, up to which age? Which one of you, or how many of you, have very distinct physical boundaries, meaning you have your own office or your atelier, and people cannot enter unannounced? How many of you have clear physical boundaries? How many of you in a party needs, need at least a few meters away from the next person? Let's talk about other types of boundaries, financial boundaries. Do we have some close couples here in the room? This one always causes a fight. Do we have close couples in the room who insist on having their own debit card and will not give the password? How many people really cannot even conceive of putting down financial boundaries with the people who love you most? I'm not saying... Don't give money. I'm saying your debit card is your debit card. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying don't share money. So you have to understand these questions. Uh, I just mean I say financial boundary. Let's say you inherited a home from your grandmother. Now you're married, and you're very fond of that villa. It came from your grandmother. You know, or or the debit card, or whatever. You have a drawer where you put on makeup, you have a drawer and you keep some cash in there. You're not suspicious of your husband. We're talking about boundaries. Do you naturally lock it or not? The talk is about one topic. It's about boundaries. And the reason we're having this talk, emotionally, psychologically healthy creatures have a natural boundary. That's very different from isolating your loved ones. It's a, that's a different talk. When you were growing up, if you didn't, if you were not shown a boundary, you have to learn. The other one is sexual boundaries. Anybody who's afraid of abandonment has real problems saying no. So when you're teaching teenage daughters and sons, they're, they're just beginning to discover sex. You know, when to say no. And then we have mental boundaries. This one gets a bit (coughs) deeper. Mental boundaries mean um, there's a term in uh, yoga, it's called Manobindu. Manobindu means the center of your mind and nothing can penetrate the center of your mind. In other words, uh, how lucky you would be if your mind had a core center and in that center, you could guard your silence, your concentration, your sense of being, and nothing could penetrate the center of your mind. On the periphery, you could be uh, hosting guests, you could be investing in stocks. All of that would be happening at the periphery. But the center of your, the Manobindu, would be a sanctuary. So here's a question for you. How much of a mental boundary do you have? For example, when you uh, look at people's lives in Facebook, does that start to get mixed in with your reality? When you go and hear about a different religion, does that come into your religion? Uh, in other words, how much of your own inner truth do you have that cannot be diluted by over-information? How many of you limit the number of minutes that you listen to international news? So think about your, uh, this, this one is becoming a serious world issue, your mental boundaries. Do you have a mono bindu? It's like the center of your mind, which is just yours. In the center of your mind, all you have is what you are focused on. You could be crazy about your husband, there's no competition. At the center of your mind is just what needs to be at the center of your mind. For example, you could be saying Om at the center. And no matter how much you adore your little daughter, that doesn't interfere with the Om. Or you're writing a book as a novelist, and you don't want to divulge this book because you're only on chapter 3. So you don't even share it with your wife because the book is being created as we speak. Focus is one of them. The other is your truth. What do you believe is your truth? It could be slightly different from your husband's truth. That's okay. That shouldn't be threatening. Actually, there are things that you should not tell anyone about. For example, let's talk about the next one. Spiritual boundaries. Like the first time kundalini starts to sway in you, what follows that are some... Very private moments where you're being pulled into prayer or a big, big presence starts to move into your being. These are very private moments. A lot of meditators have tears over here at the end of meditation because you encounter something big or you go to church and pray to Christ and then you receive some answer. And I'm not sure how wise that is to share it with your husband. It's not that it's a secret. It's just that the answer you get from Christ is a very private thing. It's not a secret. How many of you have spiritual boundaries? Like your prayer is your prayer. You don't tell your daughter what what happened during your prayer session. See, I'm going to propose something else. Imagine you fall in love so badly, you've never fallen in love in your life like this. Okay? Just imagine that. Now, what I'm proposing is that when you fall in love that badly, it's quite delicious not to tell her that you love her that much for like three days. It's like, what kind of rotten theory is this, you know? What I'm proposing is that Unspoken emotions are sometimes deeper than spoken emotions. You can be privately in love with somebody for like five days, and it's cooking in your tummy. Whereas when you spill it out immediately, something is lost. It's like you go to Lake Geneva, and you see the sun reflecting on the lake as the sun is going down if you immediately run to six of your classmates and say, look, 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 then you've lost the lake. As you're trying to show each other the sunset on the lake, you've already lost the sunset. So I'm saying, even when you're crazy about somebody, I encourage you to admire the one you love from a distance, privately, once in a while. It's extremely romantic. Even, you know, let's say you have a two-year-old baby girl and you have never been in love like this in your life. It's scary how much you love this little girl. You can't express it completely to that little girl. It's too heavy because the enormity of the love is huge. It's inexplicable. Here's what we're saying. Uh, Yoga is a big proponent of the inner gaze, Are you gazing inside? Do you have an inner life? Do you have inner boundaries? Even when you're crazy about somebody, if you have an inner life, you may let that love cook. I mean, the person knows you love them, but you're letting this cook. It's like you're at a party, you look across the salon, and you see your husband of 30 years, and you say, ah, he's pretty handsome. You're not saying it to him, but it's nice to notice it inwardly. There's a lot of power to that. We're talking about boundaries. The healthier you get, the more of an inner life you have, which has nothing to do with being guarded or keeping secrets from your loved ones. You have a very powerful inner life. You could have an incredible romantic life, but be an inner person. Some of us didn't have that growing up. So we have to work hard at developing an inner life. Now almost everybody's losing the inner life. Technology is just moving in. Okay, last thing I want to talk about is following your heart. Ideally, your heart should be Queen, and your mind should be Prime Minister. So in England, every morning, Prime Minister goes to see the Queen, kind of to say hello, let the Queen know what's going on, and then he takes off and goes to Parliament. In your life, the, the, rule, the rule of your life should be coming from the Queen, The implementation of that should be coming from your Prime Minister. But uh, the problem is most people right now are being ruled by the Prime Minister. Prime Minister is an instrument called the mind. It's rational, it's logical, it edits, Uh, sometimes it's uh, ridden by fear. Uh, It takes statistics of what are the chances of succeeding. The queen doesn't care about that. The queen says, Time to have a baby. And you're 42. You know, queen says to a 42 year old woman, Let's have a baby. Prime Minister says, Mais comment? Comment est-ce que c'est possible? Right? You start to calculate. So, if you're really in good shape, your prime minister is very smart. And the prime minister is completely loyal to the queen. So the queen gives the order. Your prime minister calculates and is smart and is clear-headed and makes sure that the law of the queen is implemented in your life. Normally what happens is we get very scared of obeying the king and the queen in our lives. In other words, living through the heart on, on the major aspects of your life. Major, major aspects of your life. Healthy people are ruled by the heart, not the mind. And you know what's interesting? If you ask people, how do you feel? They come with responses like, I think I'm sad. And I said, no, I asked you, how do you feel? And they keep saying, I think. See, uh, you have to ask yourself, do you get confused between what you're thinking and what you're feeling? It can easily happen, very easily. Like if you grew up with very, very rational parents, they mixed you up. So they're good people. They weren't your enemies. It's just that you know they were extremely rational. So now you're an artist and you have an issue separating your emotions from your rational thinking. There are two separate fields. Uh, close your eyes, eyes and put your right palm on your heart. No, don't close your eyes. Just put the right palm on, on the heart. Yeah, Feel the heartbeat for a few seconds. Okay, good. You can look at me. So how are you feeling right now? Anyways, I encourage you to keep this one. Once in a while, like midday or midweek, just do this. Uh, It's a physical motion. It's a physical motion. But you do this. You can close your eyes. And uh, as you do this, some more honest layer of you starts to talk. By the way, let's not get this conversation wrong. Sometimes all of you are in a life position where you have to do some quick calculating. You have to have a lot of exactitude. You have to be managing your finances. For all of those things, Prime Minister is in charge. Queen gives you the main direction of life. Like, is this the man I want in my life? Is this the time to have my baby? You see what I'm saying? So we're not asking you to put away your sharp logic. In every case here, there is a liar living in your mind. And every time you listen to that liar, you're lost. What does the liar say in your mind? He's, she's been there quite a long time. What is her main message? And what happens when you listen to this liar? Here's the formula: event plus my response equals result. Look at this. Circumstance plus my response. Equals result. What I'm asking is, what is the result every time you listen to this liar? You lose your bearings. And see, spirituality would argue that these are your golden moments. See, this science would argue, this is when you should have your eyes open. This is when life is fresh. And that, and that fear always lies to you. We're not talking about effort. Effort is not torture. Fear is the torture. In other words, if they ask you to go look for a job and you're not fearful, there's nothing that hard about going out and being active. It's the fear that kills you. Right? Who's the liar in your mind? She keeps talking about the same theme. Every time you've listened to her, every single time, she has lied to you. I'm having this talk with you, every single one of us in this room has at least one liar living in the mind. And the problem is, all your life you have believed the message of this liar. You have to understand me correctly. Sometimes your liar doesn't think you're worth much. Sometimes you're always worried about money. Sometimes you don't trust men. Sometimes every headache is a brain tumor. But your liar tends to be very consistent in the kind of lie it tells you. It's either money, sexuality, self-worth, risk-taking, something. Uh, How many of you saw the Hollywood movie Brilliant Mind? In this movie, the man sees a non-existent FBI agent, sees it. And this FBI agent scares this man into thinking that there's a conspiracy going on. But I mean, he really sees this FBI man. And in one scene of the movie, uh, he's going so crazy that his wife is about to leave him. He's about to lose everything because of his craziness. And he goes to the garage And he sees the FBI man. And in that scene, he says, wait, there's something wrong here. And the FBI says, what's wrong? And he says, you haven't aged. In other words, I've been seeing you for 10 years, and your skin hasn't aged. You know why I'm telling you about, about this example? In that movie, that was a brilliant moment where the one in Illusion got to face the liar and realize that there's something wrong about this message. See, I'm I'm teaching you to mistrust one particular voice in your mind. It's a very difficult thing to do, because all of you are super educated, you probably have high IQs, you have a lot of worldly experience, you've got a lot of accomplishments, and then I come up for a weekend and ask you to identify a liar that is giving you false information. If This is a very powerful technique. If you identify the liar in your mind, you're going to grow very quickly because you're going to start mistrusting that voice. Some of you, I can see, are thinking, you still haven't identified who this liar is. You could be quite accomplished, that's irrelevant to this talk. Uh, I'll speak for myself. I know the voice of the liar, and I know every time, every single time, it's been misinformation. Mine is very clear, always gives me misinformation. So my task is very easy. When it comes to that topic, I don't trust that topic. Let's imagine every time you have a headache, you're sure it's a brain tumor. Once you realize that you're a hypochondriac, you don't trust any information about severe illness. You become a radical in disbelieving your liar. Uh, I just want a show of hands. How many of you are very, very clear who your lifelong friend, the liar, has been, and what he says. Okay, so half the class doesn't know who the liar is. You don't have to have one. I'm not insisting that you have one. But most people have some perception that lies to them. It could be anything. It could be my worth. It could be, does God love me or not? It could be, am I a lucky lady or not? It could be about any facet of life. Money, sexuality, luckiness, illness, risk-taking. Do you know the illusion behind risk-taking? Listen to this. The reason people don't take risks, the reasons are always the same. Listen to this. Number one, you don't feel that you have the capability to take this risk. That's one illusion. Number two, you feel that if you take the risk and you fall temporarily, that the fall will be so severe that you won't be able to get back up. That's the second illusion. The third illusion is that on the other side of the risk, there's something horrible waiting for you. But that could be a total miscalculation. Typically there are three problems with risk taking and typically all three are illusion. I don't have the capacity. If I fall, I can't get back up. And what's waiting on the other side is horrible. I was working with a group in Florida and somebody had recently gotten divorced. So we had a one-on-one session. And I said, this was the week after the separation. I said, how do you feel? She said. Quite sad. And I said, well, I can guess, but how come? She said, I went to a dinner party with my girlfriends. They were all divorced. They were all gorgeous, smart, interesting women. And none of them had a man. So my response to her was that you're taking statistics. I said to her, you're one unique woman. You're one soul. I understand your girlfriends are pretty, but you need one man. In this whole world, you need one man. So what are the odds of one man in Southern Florida? Some recommendations to conclude the afternoon talk. Number one, see if you can identify this one liar. And the liar is very consistent in the type of lie it tells you. And that every time you followed her advice, you got into trouble. In other words, the results have never been good. But the rest, you have to figure out who that liar is. Number two, uh, if you believe in this world of quantum physics, then the meditation, the prayer the increasing of your vibrational frequencies through prayer, meditation, visualization, affirmations, you are energetically increasing your luck in a world of energy. Because this energy is mirror-like. So it tends to uh, ricochet or mirror your own energy back to you. For example, fear reduces your energetic level and you lose all chance of communicating with this force. Fear drives you away from this force of nature. It's the worst thing you can do. It brings down your energy. Identify the liar. Do your meditation. Do your prayer. Visualize good things, say within a three-month period. Anything that increases your self-worth is going to increase your uh, vibrational frequency and resonance. In other words, people pick you based on what you think you are. People who approach you, approach you based on the value that you place on yourself. It's Like an attraction type. The other thing I would encourage you to do, because I've lived this life for 25 years, there are no countries, there are no passports. Uh, beyond the flags, there are no flags. There's one force, and it kind of goes around like the wind. you know The wind doesn't recognize French border and Swiss border. Uh, there's one energy, and there's a way of speaking to this energy. I'll talk about that for the rest of the workshop, but this energy has a particular language that it understands. So, if your name is Isabel, that force doesn't understand Isabel. It's a particular language. The more you think of oneness, it's like, hello? The more it understands. It won't understand your title, your first name and last name. You can speak through it through the assumption of oneness. And the most powerful way of doing that is filling your entire body up with the breath that carries that force in you. You could also do what I used to do as a little boy. I used to have an invisible best friend. What if one of your spiritual practices becomes you dialoguing with a holy best friend all day? You're going to a UN meeting. Imagine the best friend is right here dialogue with the higher self all the time. You'll be surprised, you may not be surprised. The the answer, the wise answers come very, very quickly. So I want you to visualize some aspect of yourself which is very powerful, very wise, very centered. If you want, give her a name or a face, You don't have to. But talk to this invisible friend all the time. What that exercise does is attunes your consciousness to the consciousness of this force that I'm talking about. You're calling it your best friend. But actually what you're doing, every time you reach out to a higher self, you're unconsciously reaching out to that force. And if you have a constant dialogue with that force, things start to, uh, in terms of results, things start to change very, very quickly. Because the God force doesn't understand French, English, or Russian. You can plead as much as you want in Russian. That force doesn't understand Russian. There's one thing it understands. You and I are the same. The only thing it understands is spiritual certainty of oneness. That's the only language it understands. And love. It doesn't understand fear. Fear makes it back up. It reduces your vibrational frequency. Love and oneness. So how hard is that when you're looking, you know, looking for a job for five months how hard is that? You know, Wife is pregnant. How hard is it to assume oneness? That's your challenge. When you are in the womb, that power created you. Does it make any sense that you come out of the womb and the power suddenly lets you go? Does that make any sense to you? Yoga says you are throbbing with that force. But the minute you call yourself David, the connection is lost. I'm giving away the biggest secret of yoga. It's called the supreme practice of yoga. When you breathe, be filled with the force that gave you life. When you exhale, you let that force go to the job interview. This is the highest, highest practice of all of yoga. Because I've studied their scriptures. Bhagavad Gita, Shiva Sutra, Tantra Loka, Spandakarika. I've studied all of them to have one supreme practice. Forget this first name and last name, breathe in the same force that made you grow in the womb. When you exhale, allow that force to do your next task. How many of you can digest this exercise fairly easily? What I'm saying is the entire cosmos is made of this um, um, um. it's a pulse. And this pulse is made of consciousness. And because it's consciousness, your dialogue with the angel is you attuning your consciousness to its consciousness. So uh, I have no problems changing the name of to the angel. Who cares? So let's stick with your name. It's one energy. Here's a question for you. What is the difference between the weeks when all the traffic lights turn green and between the weeks when all the traffic lights turn red? You don't need to give me an answer, but in all of your lives, you know the difference between those two weeks. So you're in charge of figuring out what subtle thing changes within you between those two types of weeks? If you find that answer, you're learning to speak the language of this God force. What's the difference between massive resistance weeks and flow weeks? It has nothing to do with whether you're relaxed or working hard. It's a flow of your energy being attuned with that energy. By the way, speaking of church, if you go to church, and you, you kneel before the Holy Mary as if that being is several million times bigger and more noble than you. That's one kind of worship. You could go to the same church and, hello, come on in. You see, if the equality is there between you and the Holy Mother, my feeling is, that that church session is going to have a different quality than beg- begging something bigger to have mercy on you. In other words, yoga, yoga has a no-nonsense approach to God. It says, dear friend, you are already God. In other words, since your body is made of atoms, Brahma pulsates underneath the atoms. So anything that's made of atoms is pulsing with the god force. And that's the end of it. There's no hell in yoga. There's no shame. There's no washing of sins. The difference between heaven and hell, according to yoga, is whether you're having hellish thoughts or heavenly thoughts. It's in your mind. So if you want to understand fear, Let's say you don't even trust this business of talking to to whatever. Uh, Even if you pretend that you have a best, best friend, a guardian angel of some sort, just make it up and start breathing the force that created you. Breathe and fill your entire body whenever you remember. Maybe you remember once a day. If you feel that something alive, something alive comes in and that you can say hello to each other that's the end of fear so i'm giving you the highest practice obviously the logical mind says this is schizophrenia these people are talking to empty space but then again you know we're talking about 8000 years of history we're talking about a lot of wise people who've tried certain things this is not just you and i's opinion I'm not even religious. I'm just saying 8,000 years of history, they couldn't have all been fools. So at least one can give them the benefit of the doubt of trying something. So when we meditate this afternoon, once in a while I'll give you a hint. Like the fish being surrounded by water. Once in a while this afternoon, I'll just give you a hint. I'll say, say hello to life coming into you establish a relationship by hello i mean establish a relationship and then exhale and then watch the next thought disappear into silence this afternoon we'll also have some rapid breathing so 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 and that's going to cleanse some clogged channels it's not may not feel pleasant but um, it'll get this going And once that gets going, then you have some surprises.